Whoa, that's harsh. I feel for you. I know. If I stand here too long, am I going to need sunscreen? <laughs> I had a professor in seminary by the name of Haddon Robinson, and he told this story about a married woman from the Midwest who decided to go on a European tour by herself. So her itinerary was to go to London and then Paris, Rome, and Vienna. Well, she got to London and she called home and asked her husband how things were. He said, I'm doing fine, except the cat died. And she started to cry hysterically. When she recovered from her crying, she said, you insensitive brute of a man. I can't believe I ever married someone as insensitive as you. And the, and the guy's dumbfounded, and he said, well, you're right, dear, of course, but what was I supposed to have said? She said, well, you, you could have waited. You know, when I got to London, you could have said something like, the cat's on the roof. And then when I got to Paris, she said, the cat fell from the roof. And then when I got to to uh, Vienna, you could have said, well, the cat's not doing well. And then, you know, when I finally got to Rome, you could have said, the cat died. And he thought about it for a while. And he says, you know, you, you're absolutely right, honey. And then his wife said, by the way, how's mom? <laughs> he said, your mom's on the roof. <laughs> see, see, she thought her husband's timing was bad. <laughs> Have you ever had a situation where you just feel like, God's timing in your life was uh, all wrong when it all went bad. Uh, when Connie and I were uh, newlyweds, we, we were ranching. We, I was a cowboy. Um, and it was time to go to seminary, but we really liked ranching. We liked cow, cowboy life, and we liked the, the, the situation we were in, our neighbors, the, the, the country, the, the cows, the horses. We, we loved everything about it. So when it was time for going to seminary, I decided I was just going to stay being a cowboy, and we didn't leave. It was no sooner after that than the owner of the, the property called me to his house, and he said he decided to lease the ranch out. So in one fell swoop, we lost our house, our, our income, our job. Uh, we lost the insurance. My wife was six months pregnant at the time. We lost our neighbors. We lost our church. We lost our friends. Um, we, we didn't know where we were going to go at that time. It was a very inconvenient time um, to lose the ranch. Now, you've heard about Mary being announced to by the angel Gabriel that she was going to be the mother of Jesus. She was probably about 14 or 15 years old at the time. And the Spirit told her that she was going to um, be miraculously impregnated and that she was going to bear the Savior of the world. Well, that's all fine and great, except that she's not married, and they lived in a, a culture where it was much more conservative even than our culture, and it was, a, it was a, a shame, a scandal, even a crime for a woman to be pregnant out of wedlock. And to make matters worse, in the ninth month of her pregnancy, her fiancé took her from Nazareth to uh, Bethlehem because a decree had been issued by Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken so that they could tax the world. This timing of Mary's pregnancy, I, I don't think that's me. I think I switched mics, huh? Can I take it home with me?
don't know what happened. I'm moving over here, and I'm still in the light. <laughs> the timing of Mary's pregnancy, um, from her point of view, couldn't have been worse, but she doesn't complain. She doesn't um, challenge the angel, saying, um, she says, Lord, if this is your will, if this is what you want, this is absolutely uh, acceptable to me. But if you were to focus the camera on Mary alone, you would see that the timing was really bad timing. My favorite Christmas verse, you know, we go through the Luke passages every Christmas, but my favorite Christmas verse is uh, Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of time, the pleroma to Kranu. Uh, in the fullness of time, uh, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. But it, it kind of begs the question, what does the passage mean? What does Paul mean when he says, in the fullness of time? I mean, it's very poetic, but what does he mean? In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Well, the expression fullness of time means that when the time was ripe, when it was, uh, when it was uh, complete, when it was just the right time, when the time was, was perfect, God sent forth his son into the world. Now, God had been whispering these promises all through history to his people, promising that he would send a savior. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, they fell away from God. They experienced a sense of alienation from God, but they experienced a sense of alienation from each other and within their own hearts. And God promised them clear back in the garden immediately after the fall that he would send a son, a savior that would save all humanity. Many years later, God would approach a Middle Eastern nomad by the name of Abraham and his wife Sarah. They're an elderly couple that had been struggling for decades with the problem of infertility. And God said, you will miraculously conceive and through your seed, the whole world will be blessed. The blessings of the nations will come through you. And that seed would ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus Christ who would bless the whole world. Then one of Abraham's many distant, distantly removed great-grandsons, the King David, would be told that through him God would send another king, a king who would always sit on David's throne, a king that, whose kingdom would know no end. And of course God was referring to David's ultimate son in Jesus Christ, who is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and it's through Scripture that Paul now promises that in the fullness of time, in the perfect time, God sent forth his son born of a woman. Now in hindsight, for us, that's not a problem because we can see how this all worked out just exactly like God planned. Now, Jesus is gonna be born as the savior of the world. But from Mary's perspective, it was entirely different because she did not have the benefit of uh, the hindsight. She had to trust all of this looking forward. She couldn't connect the dots like we do looking backwards through time. She had to just trust that God was in control and that he would do as he promised. In hindsight, we can see this was the opportune time 
for the Savior of the world to come. It was the, the ideal time politically for Jesus to be born. Now, the Roman Empire had many faults, but it was also highly organized. And when Jesus was born, probably this was the zenith of the Roman Empire. And one of the virtues of the Roman Empire was that they were very tolerant towards other people's Christianity. Basically, they said, you are welcome to have whatever religion you want as long as you also say that Caesar is God. And for most of the people of the world, that was not problematic. They were happy enough to say that they were worshiping their God, and also Caesar could be God too. But there's this one group of people, the Hebrew people, who said, we only worship the one true living God, Yahweh. We will not say Caesar is God too. And so that caused a lot of consternation on the Roman part, and they persecuted the Jews. Many of them were, were killed, and um, because the Jews were seen as uh, resistors of Roman authority, the Romans came down rather hard on them. And then they realized they needed to do something about that. And in their great wisdom, the Roman leaders became rather pragmatic and said, everybody has to say that Caesar is God except the Jews. And so they allowed the Jews to be the one exception to not have to admit that Caesar was God. Now that worked out very fortunate for the early Christian movement because up until 70 AD, Christianity was seen as just an extension of Judaism. So the Christians were given a lot of freedom to not have to say Caesar is God. It was a very ideal time for the spread of Christianity, for this good news to, to be brought out. And of course it was, a, it was a very good time politically also because when Julius Caesar was assassinated in 44 BC, there was a civil war in Rome. But by the time that uh, uh, Caesar Augustus ascends to the throne in 25 BC, this was a time of unparalleled peace that would last for 200 years in the Roman Empire. It was the, it was the right time because there was peace on earth at that time. It was a right time because the Romans were great at road building, and when the gospel went out, they used those Roman roads, those Roman um, byways, to, in order to take the gospel out. It was a great time politically for Christ to be born. It was also a very good time, a perfect time culturally for Christ to be born. Remember Alexander the Great, he had conquered the known world by that time, and he had spread uh, Greece cult, Greek culture and Greek language throughout the world. It, the Greek language is very precise, and so when the Bible was, the New Testament was written, the, the Gospels, uh, they were written in this precise Greek, and it was a time when most people could read and speak Greek, so it was a perfect time for the gospel to go out. The gospel spread much more quickly than it would have otherwise. So it's the right time politically, it's the right time culturally, and it was the right time spiritually. The Greek philosophers like Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, they'd done a, an amazing job of, of raising the questions about the meaning of life. Someone said, the Greek philosophers plowed the fields of the human heart, and Christ and his followers then sowed the seeds of meaning. So politically, culturally, spiritually, it was the perfect time, the fullness of time for Christ to be born. So when God came to, when the angel Gabriel came speaking God's words to Mary, the angel said, you're going to experience the, the, the overcoming, the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. You will become miraculously impregnated. You will give birth to the Savior of the world. That was a great time for that to happen, but it was a really bad time in, in Mary's 
life. Because personally, like I said, she, she's unwed. It was scandalous. It could be dangerous. And yet, what does Mary say? I don't understand, but I fully accept what you're doing. Her, her response is, is, is yes, 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 yes. Now, this church has been studying most recently the book of Ruth and the book of Esther. And the whole point of both of those books is that God is sovereignly working behind the scenes, that he's taking our own free choices, but he's using them to choreograph his own purpose. And that's powerfully demonstrated, especially in the, in the book of Ruth. You don't have to be a, a famous Bible character like Ruth or Esther, Joseph or Mary, um, to have God using you, dictating your destinies, using your own free will, but he's using it for his own divine purposes. Proverbs 16.9 says that in our hearts we plan our course, but God the Lord is ultimately determining our steps. So let me ask you something, at least something to be pensive about. Do you believe that God is controlling your steps, that he plans your life, that he's using your free choices for his divine purposes. J.I. Packer talked about this antinomy. It's like a paradox, only an antinomy, or an antinomy can be true and it contradicts another truth at the same time. They can both be true at the same time. And J.I. Packer says, here's an antinomy. We see light and we understand it in the sense of particles, but we also see light and we understand it in the sense of, of waves. It, it appears to be a contradiction but they are both true. And he said here, this is a likeness to the fact that you have free will. You act according to what you want. You choose what you want. But all of the time that you're exercising your free will, God is fulfilling his perfect purposes, his destiny through you in his perfect time. Now we don't understand how God uses free choice and his sovereign election, his sovereign choice, but we believe that both of these things are true. It's mysterious that we have free choice and God remains sovereign, but we believe that God uses our free choices to shape our destiny. And you don't have to be a Christian to have God shaping your destiny either and understand how God is at work behind the scenes. An example of that is Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, he didn't believe, of course, in a personal God, but he did believe that there was some good force of the universe, some benevolent power that was shaping life. In 2005, Steve Jobs gave a graduation speech at Stanford University, and he's recounting his story about he was uh, given up for ad adoption. Um, he was born to an unwed mother. And the adoption almost doesn't happen because as soon as the real mother, the biological mother, finds out that these adoptive parents hadn't graduated from college, she wants to pull the plug on that. At any rate, 1972, Jobs goes to Reed College for a very short time. He drops out rather soon. But while he has dropped out of being a real student at Reed College, he remains there and he starts taking classes that he drops in on that he's not signed up for. And one of those classes is a calligraphy class. So Jobs, in his speech, right, his speech to Stanford says, looking back, dropping out was one of the best decisions I ever made. The minute I dropped out, I could stop taking the required classes that didn't interest me and begin dropping in on the ones that looked interesting. Let me give you an example. Reed College at the time offered perhaps the best calligraphy instruction in the country. 
throughout the campus. Every poster, every label, every drawer was beautifully hand calligraphied. Because I had dropped out, I didn't have time to take the normal classes. I decided to take calligraphy class to learn how to do this. I learned about serif and sans serif type faces. I, the varying amount of space between each one became uh, beautiful, historical, artistically subtle in a way that science can't capture, and I find it fascinating. None of this had even a hope of any practical application in my life. But 10 years later, when we were designing the first Macintosh computer, it all came back to me, and we designed it into the Mac. It was the first computer with beautiful typography. If I had never dropped in on that single course in college, the Mac would never have had the multiple typefaces or the proportionately spaced fonts. And since Windows just copied Mac, it's likely that no personal computer would have had them. If I had never dropped out, I would have never dropped in on that calligraphy class. And perhaps personal computers might not have that wonderful typography that they do. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college, but it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Here's the part I want you to pay attention to. Again, you cannot connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. You have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in the future. You have to trust in something. You have to trust in something. That's true. You do have to trust in something. But why not trust in someone? Why not trust in the living God who's in control of all things? Now, God uses our, our, our ordinary choices <coughs> to accomplish his extraordinary eternal purposes, and he does it in his perfect time. And that's why Mary is a great model for us, because she could not connect the dots looking forward. She doesn't know what all of this means. She just knows that her life has been cataclysmically disrupted, and yet she simply says, yes, Lord, may it be to me as you have said. So it's easy for us, we're looking back on Mary's life, and it's easy for us to say, well, she made the right decision. She, because we have the benefit of a hindsight, but Mary doesn't have that benefit. It's easy for us because we can look backwards and we can connect the dots. Someone says it's easy for, to trust God looking backwards, I can connect the dots, but it's hard to trust God right now because I don't know what the future holds. Kierkegaard says, we understand life looking backwards, but we have to live it looking forward, and that's hard. The way we can trust God looking forward in our life is to be able to look backwards, not only in our life, but in the lives of others, like Mary's, and see how God was working through all of that. God had a great plan. It was, in fact, the perfect time. It was the perfect time for Mary to bear a son who, 33 years later, would be crucified on a Roman cross as a sacrifice for, for my sins, for your sins, so that we could then be reconciled to God. Paul says, if God did not spare his one and only son for you, but gave him as a sacrifice for you, how will he not also with him freely give you all things? See, that's God working his good towards you. So when God speaks to you, probably not through the angel Gabriel, more likely he'll speak to you through his, through his written word to Scripture. Perhaps he'll speak to you through circumstances. Perhaps you'll have this movement of the Spirit in your heart. 
But when God speaks to you, you'll have every reason to say, yes, Lord, may it be to me just as you've said, because you're going to allow God to do something in your life that you don't understand, but you trust that he'll do something beautiful. As I look back at the time where we lost the cattle, cattle ranch, I got to say, it was a really inconvenient time. We had missed the window to go to seminary that year, and so we had to we had to wait out a year until the next cycle came around. You couldn't just go to school when the, when the quarter changed over. It was really inconvenient because, like I said, we lost our home, we lost our job, we lost our friends, we lost our neighbor, we lost our church, we lost our, our health insurance. We had nowhere to go. It was too late to go to school. And yet, looking back on that, I can see how God used that for our ultimate good. It was his way of moving us on. Now, we didn't see it at the time, but... We can look back and connect the dots, and I'm thankful for God's sovereign guidance. I have, the, I have learned, therefore, that I can trust him in the future. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are trustworthy, and each one of us can look back at our own life and see your hand at work. And we thank you for that. And we can look back at the scripture and see the, the perfect timing in all that you do. And we thank you for that. It is all these things, looking through scripture, looking at our own life, that gives us confidence that you were in charge before. We can see how you did connect the dots. And then we, therefore we have confidence that you will make use of all these things in our life. And we have every reason to trust you for the future. Thank you for Mary's willingness to accept, even though it was a terribly inconvenient time and an inconvenient thing that you were asking her to do, but thank you that she was willing to. Father, I, I pray this, this evening, this Christmas Eve, that we have a new appreciation for who you are and your work in our life, not just what's happened historically uh, more than 2,000 years ago. Lord, have your way in our church, have your way in our lives, have your way in our family. May you be pleased and glorified through it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.